Christmas is a really difficult time to lose people that are close to you, isn't it? I uh, just the other night was talking to a good friend of mine. We were actually roommates in college and uh, discovered that on my birthday, uh, his father went on to be with the Lord. And his dad was an amazing man, Christian man, very big man, both in body and in spirit, and just just one of those personalities that was extremely jovial. You know, that's how you would describe him. Just a lot of fun to be around. And um, anyway, we were, we were talking on the phone and just reminiscing about uh, some of the experiences that we had during my, between my junior and senior year that summer, and Justin and I, we went on a road trip with his parents. And um, we, we drove out west, uh, hit the Grand Canyon, went up and and uh, saw San Francisco, stayed for a few days, and then headed back uh, through Colorado. And uh, on that trip, we were laughing about some of the, the crazy things that, that happened. But um, we went through Colorado Springs, and his family, they wanted to go to focus on the family and, and take the tour. And I had already done that and, um, a couple of years before with my family. And so I had it in my mind that what I wanted to do while we were in Colorado Springs is I wanted to see Pikes Peak, and um, I, wanted, I wanted to climb that mountain, you know, I wanted to go up that mountain, see the top, and, and so on, and uh, I don't know if you know anything about Pikes Peak, but it's a fairly large hill, I mean, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's the highest summit of the southern front range of the Rocky Mountains, and it's, I mean, the summit is 14,115 feet, and uh, I think probably because several years before that, I had... I had taken an entire day with my family, and we had climbed a, a mountain that was around 13. And, and I thought, well, this shouldn't be a problem, you know. I've forgotten how, how much of a day that was. And um, so I, I was excited. You know, I, I, uh, they dropped me off in this parking lot. And there was like a little hiking trail that would take you up uh, the mountain. You could, I mean, you can, you can drive up the mountain. You know, I didn't really fully comprehend that. Some people are driving up the mountain, and I'm thinking, I'm going to take this walking trail up to the top of the mountain. Anyway... They dropped me off in the parking lot, and they said, well, okay, well, we'll see you later on today. I was like, all right, no problem. You know, I'll see you later on today. I'll have taken some pictures, and, you know, we'll make our merry way back to the great state of Missouri. And so dropped me off in the parking lot, and I thought, man, I'm just full of vigor right now, you know. This mountain stands before me, and I began to walk up uh, this walking trail. And, and uh, the more I walked, the, the steeper it grew, you know. And it just kept getting steeper and steeper. And, and I just, I mean, I was thinking, man, I've been doing this for a really long time. You know, I'm just really working hard. I'm, I'm walking as fast as I can, just, you know, really plugging away at it. And uh, finally I get up to this point, I'm just like, oh, my goodness, I, I think I might fall over. Like I'm, I'm, I'm just starting to kind of get dizzy. And I think, you know, what? I better just sit down for a few minutes and collect myself before I, you know, topple down this mountain, which I'm, you know, probably halfway up by this point, right? And so I sit down, and as I sit down, I just fall down. I lay down, and I'm there looking at this mountain, and, uh, and I'm thinking, man, I've got to be close to halfway there, at least maybe at least a third. And so I just kind of look down where I'd come from, and, and I can still see the parking lot. <laughs> I, I said, you've got to be kidding me. Seriously? I've been walking and walking and walking and like really, really going after this, but I had forgotten about something that's really important, apparently. It's altitude change, right? Like I'm from Missouri, 
Pike's Peak is from Colorado. And those two things don't really mix very well, according to the altitude change. And so I'm gasping for air, and, uh, and I, I, just, I guess I was ignorant about how long it would take to walk up 14,000 feet, you know? I maybe made it 700 feet. So I thought, well, this is just not worth it <laughs> at this point. You know, I, I can't even really walk myself, I, much less walk up a mountain. So I began to walk back down, very, very humbled. And uh, by the time I reached the parking lot, I mean, just completely demoralized, you know, just like, well, I am a failure. And, and I've only been gone for like 20 minutes, you know. And, and like now I've got to wait for hours for them to go through the Focus on the Family tour and come back for me. Because that was before the day of cell phones. So the mountain bested me easily. (laughs) And I think sometimes that's how we feel about the things that are happening in our lives, isn't it? And we start out really, really strong, you know. We look at the challenges in front of us and we're just like, oh, I got this. I've got this. This is mine. I'm ready for anything that comes my way. Then, Then the road becomes very, very steep and difficult. The pressure's become too much and we find ourselves really on our backs looking up at the sky wondering what in the world happened here how did this happen it's in those moments that we have to look further than the mountaintop we have to look beyond the mountaintop we have to look to the one who who made the mountain the one who created all things, the one who is from, as the scripture says, from everlasting to everlasting. And that's how I want us to consider this morning. I want us to see this morning how our submission to this everlasting God will lead us over and beyond the mountains that we face in our lives. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 90. Psalm 90. I'm going to let you remain seated as we read Psalm 90 together this morning. It's a prayer from Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They're soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord. How long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning 
with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning, this moment, asking that you would teach us. That we would hear from your servant Moses. Father, that we would see you more clearly. That we would entrust ourselves to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Now, there's reasons that we have chosen the text so far in this series through Christmas that we have. Um, This morning, we are looking once again, I want to remind you of the subject of the series, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Just recap it for us. It says, for to us, a child is born to us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. So as we look at this text together, we note uh, even the heading itself says from everlasting to everlasting. We begin to think about the fatherhood of God. I want us to ask a question that probably is lurking somewhere in your mind, hopefully, uh, if you're thinking deeply about these things. Is The question is, why does Isaiah refer to Jesus or the Messiah as the everlasting father? I mean, hopefully that's something maybe you're asking not, maybe you should. Um, just a theological question that we probably ought to just go ahead and, and take care of before we move into Psalm 90. But why is it that Isaiah calls Jesus the everlasting Father? Now, is there a confusion there? Is Jesus and the Father the same person? Now, there is confusion there in some, some denominations um, and even in some historic uh, approaches to looking at who God is. It's probably one of the most common misunderstandings uh, about the nature of God. It's called modalism. It's called different things, Sabalianism, Petropassianism, all kinds of different things. But basically what it says is that God is one God, and this one God, through different periods in history, has put on a different hat. Right? He's come and he's revealed himself in this way. So in the Old Testament, he revealed himself as Father. And same one God, one person, different hats. Then in the New Testament, he came and he revealed himself instead, not as the Father, but as the Son. And now that the Son has gone away, he's now come and he's revealed himself as the Holy Spirit. It's a denial of the Trinity itself. Now, this is not Orthodox Christian teaching. Orthodox Christian teaching says that there is one God, one triune God, and that one God has revealed himself in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so when we look at the text there in Isaiah 9, when Isaiah says that he will be an everlasting father. He's not saying that there is no such thing as a trinity. He's saying something very important that if we look at the rest of what he's saying in Isaiah, it will help us to understand it. Isaiah means by everlasting father that, uh, that the Messiah himself will serve as the role of benevolent protector of his people. Like a father. Right? 
In chapter 22 of Isaiah, Isaiah prophesies uh, that a man called Eliakim would be given God's authority. And I just referenced this so you can see the language here. It says, he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the home of Judea. What is he saying? Is he saying Eliakim really is going to be the biological father of all of these folks living in Jerusalem? No, that's not what he's saying. What is the purpose of him calling him father? Well, it's a metaphor. That metaphor serves to say that Eliakim will act as king and act as protector over all of the people of Israel, like a father, father who leads his family and protects his family. So the Messiah, the everlasting father, is going to be very much like this kind of a leader. But there's a significant difference there, and it's that word everlasting, isn't it? This one, the Messiah, would be one who is of everlasting to everlasting. Never ending, ever. Always protecting, always taking care of his people. So, I want us to take a look this morning at this passage, Psalm 90. Now, as I said just a moment ago, Psalms 90, most of the time when we think about the Psalms, we think about David. David probably wrote most of the Psalms, but here, this particular Psalm is attributed to Moses. It's probably one of the oldest Psalms that we find in Scripture. And the background of the Psalm uh, is probably something like the people of Israel there gathered on the plains of Moab. So even as you began to kind of think about the words that Moses is speaking here in this Psalm, you begin to kind of see little glimpses of the things that he's referring to and the strength of God and the power of God, the everlasting nature of God, and then how God had seemingly left his people there to die in the wilderness. How long, O oh Lord? How long will you be angry? How long will you leave us to our own demise? And then... We come to the end of it where he's talking about the grace and mercy and hope that we find in God. Now, when we look at the scripture, as we analyze the scripture and we see how Jesus arrives on the scene and even the name that Jesus has given, Emmanuel, what does it mean? It means God with us. This idea that that the one, Yahweh, the, the covenant God himself, came to earth in flesh. This is what Jesus is saying of himself in John 8 when uh, the people approach him and, and, and begin to talk to him. And he says, before Abraham was, I am. He's saying, I am the one who made the covenant there on Sinai. I am the one who is God. I am the covenant one. And so even when we look at this text here in Psalm 90, as it refers to the Lord God, Yahweh God, we see that it is off. It is referring also to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that is the reason we kind of come to this text here this morning, to think about how is it that the Messiah, our Lord Jesus, is everlasting Father. So we think about this text. I want us to take home two principles. The first, is, uh, the first of these is this. God is everlasting, and we are not. You see how simple that is? Very simple. God is everlasting, and we are not. Look with me at verses 1 down to verse 11. We're going to break this into pieces. Verses 1 and 2, we see that God, because he is everlasting, and we are not, God serves as our refuge. Look there at verses 1 and 2. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. 
before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now, isn't it some, somewhat comforting to know that there, there's never been a people at any point on the earth that had it all together? None of us. Not one point in history did people just like, well, we really got this. You know, we don't really need God to step in, God to do anything for us. We, we've got it all going on. No, every generation has needed God. Every single generation. We're no different. We're no different than the generations that have gone before us. I mean, we, we do have a lot of things that other people didn't have, don't we? I mean, we have running water. Other people didn't have running water. We can cook inside. That's nice. We have plumbing. We have cars and planes. I mean, you can really, I mean, legitimately you can say you can get to anywhere in the world in something like 24 hours. It's insane. It's insane. We have entertainment all over the place. We can listen to music without leaving the house. It occurred to me just a couple of years ago that that's really strange. You know, used to, years and years ago, unless your family or a member of the family played an instrument, like hearing music meant you had to either go to church or go somewhere, uh, like at a concert hall, to actually hear music. It's kind of mind-blowing for someone in my generation. We understand sickness, for the most part. We have a medication that can fix most things. But even with all of those different blessings, we still need God, don't we? We, we have broken families all over the place. We, 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 we struggle with anger. We have crime all over the place. Starvation, homeless people, human trafficking, depression, suicide, sadness, loss. So regardless of all the things we think we have, all of it is temporary. Nothing is going to last. I mean, we, we accumulate a lot of stuff, don't we? Now, maybe it's just me. I happen to be something of a pack rat. And I've kind of passed that on to my children, unfortunately. I remember, as a child, one of my, my most prized possessions was inside one of those oat cans, you know, the tall ones, the cylinders. If you were to take the lid off, you could look inside, and it was like a treasure trove of, of rocks. I mean, rocks from all kinds of places. But, I mean, these rocks, I mean, they were incredible, right? Because you'd pour them out, and, I mean, every rock had a, a significance, a story. I mean, this rock was smooth, and I found it in, you know, this particular creek. Uh, this rock was, was, uh, was green. This rock, man, it had shone with, like, glitter on it. I mean, it's crazy. This, this rock was, was uh, almost looked like a crystal. I had one that even looked like gold. Turns out it wasn't real gold. But, I mean, I love those things. Prized possession. But now, I mean, I think back, and, and Kim laughs, because actually when we got married, my mother gave me my box of rocks. And I think it was probably when I was deployed, but somewhere along the way, they, they have vanished. I mean, I don't know where they are today. Now, a hundred years from now, all of the stuff that you think is so important, all of the stuff that you've accumulated around your house or in your life, it will all be gone. 
All of it. And what will really matter is whether or not God truly was your refuge. Really was your hope. Everything. Even us. We are all transient. But God is not. God is from everlasting to everlasting. He is the one who is our refuge. Look there at verses 3 and 4. The next thing we see about God is that God lives forever. He's our refuge, but he lives forever Verse 3, it says, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. God is the only one who lives forever. He has always been. He will always be. And all of us, barring the fact that Jesus comes back, we will return to dust from which we were made. Moses is reminding us of the Genesis 2 story. Where it says that the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. We were taken from the dust. The breath of God was placed into the lungs of Adam. But as sure as we were taken from the dust, we returned to dust, don't we? Job the book of Job, when he was looking around at his life and how it had just completely fallen apart. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I think what's so amazing when you begin to think about God, God stands above all time. He looks At the end, as if it were the beginning, and he looks at the beginning as if it were the end. He sees all of it at one time. All of human history, it's less than a weekend for God. And yet, even as he peers into this time, with with millions and millions of stories happening simultaneously, even today, he sees your life story. All of the things that are happening, he looks into time, he sees your life story, and he understands your problems. He looks upon you even this morning, and he calls to you, and he says, return to me. Return to me. Turn and worship me. When you think about it, Christmas is is a perfect time to be reminded of that very thing. Maybe... Maybe you, you come here this morning and you realize that the year really did get away from you. It's always a reminder of that, isn't it? When you close in on the new year, you need to think, wow, what did I do with this last year? What happened? It's kind of like you're laying at the bottom of that mountain. What happened? I mean, you got busy, life interrupted your relationship with God, you, you've been stressed by a mortgage or a marriage. You've tried all of it on your own, but failed. And God says to you in the midst of your Christmas this morning, come back. Come back. Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. God is our refuge. God lives forever, and we do not. Next, look at 5 and 6. 
God is infinitely powerful. Verse 5 says, you sweep them away. The them is us. You sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream. Wow, what powerful imagery there. Like a dream. You ever wake up in the morning and like you have this really funny dream to tell your spouse and then by the time you actually make it to where they are drinking their coffee, you're just like, I got nothing. It's gone. I don't know what happened. Like, it's just gone. It was funny. Wish you could have been there. You know, I mean, that's that kind of explanation. Well, he says, that's what we're like. Our lifespan is like the dream that just evaporates out of your mind. Like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning, it flourishes and it is renewed. In the evening, it fades and withers. God is the one who controls life and death. Not us. Moses says that God is the one who has power to sweep humanity away like a flood. Then this reminds you of something else Moses wrote. Something about a flood sweeping humanity away. Isaiah puts it this way. He says, all flesh is grass. And all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. God is the one who is from everlasting. It's very easy to become so focused upon the things that we see every day. And forget the power and the authority of God over our lives. And you think about it, every beat of your heart is directed by God. Every single beat. Every, every breath that you take is by His grace and His love. Every morning that you wake up is sovereignly given by the one who directs our paths. It's never by accident. And so it's silly to think that we should ever get to a point where we do not fear the Lord. Regardless of how close we become to Him, regardless of the relationship that we feel like we have with Him, He is to be feared because He really is the one who has authority to give life and to take it away. That's only in Christ do we find this strange mixture of both fear and absolute joy in the presence of God. God is infinitely powerful and we are not. Next, look down at verses 7 through 11. God knows everything about us. God knows all of our ways. Verse 7, he says, For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before, before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Just imagine he's reflecting upon that 40 years as he saw the people die. And a new generation come up and he says, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? See, God does not only have the power to bring life or to end life, but he knows every secret thing 
that we have. Nothing is hidden from God's sight. That's what he says in verse 8. He says, you have set our iniquities, our sins before you. Our secret sins in the light of your presence. Is there anything more humiliating than that? Every secret sin that you think you've hidden very well from other people. All the things that you wouldn't want plastered up here on the screen behind me during worship service. All the things that are hidden away in your mind, the events that took place years and years ago and everybody seems to have forgotten about, the angry outburst that everybody just kind of quietly ignores, all of your secret sins are there in the light of his presence. He sees them all. Isn't that humbling to you? All the things that we try to keep hidden, he knows them all. This is what the author of Hebrews is talking about in Hebrews chapter 4. He says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So all of us are vulnerable. All of us are weak and hopeless in need of a God who will be a refuge to us in a time of trouble. Will save us from the wrath that is to come. Friends, this is what leads us to the Messiah, right? This is what takes us to Jesus. Remember the the first passage that we studied when we were thinking about Isaiah 9. Hebrews chapter 4, it says, We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. And it says, He is able to sympathize with our weakness because He has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. This takes us to the final section in verse 90, or Psalm 90. So God is everlasting and we are not. That's the first principle I want you to take home. The second one is this. God is compassionate and we must give ourselves to him. God is compassionate and we must give ourselves to him. So because God is compassionate and he has shown himself through the Lord Jesus Christ, how should we respond? Well, let's respond in these ways. First, 12 through 13, Live each day with a sense of God's purpose in your life. Look what he says there in verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long have pity on your servants. So Moses, from verse 12, he says, teach us to number our days. Well, what is he saying there? He's asking the Lord to help us to think about each day. Day. How are you going to live each and every day? And the truth is, you know, when you think about it, we, we only have a certain amount of days. I mean, everybody recognizes that, right? We only have a certain amount of days. We don't really know how many days we have. I mean, the average person, say the average is 75, the average person lives about 27,375 days. This last week, I celebrated my 35th birthday, 35th. And it's funny, I, I was talking to somebody, and, um, you know, people that are over 60, 
They don't appreciate when you say 35, halfway there, you know? <laughs> and um, <laughs> so that's about 12,775 days that I've spent here on this earth. If 75, if the Lord allows me to live to 75, I'm closing on the halfway mark. But what I guess is sobering, when I think about the 12,775 days, how have I lived them? Have I lived them well? Have I lived them with a sense of God's purpose? What about you? Do, Do you live with a heart of wisdom? What are you doing with the time that God has given you? Maybe you're closing in on the end mark. And you begin to reflect and think back about the thousands of days that you've had at your disposal to use. Have you stewarded them well for God? Are you living each day for yourself or are you living with an eternal purpose? Friends, don't waste your life. You only get a certain amount of days. Don't waste them on frivolous things. Don't waste them living them just for yourself, but spend them treasuring Christ, serving other people. Spend them sharing the truth of the gospel with those around you. Spend them raising your kids to love and follow after Christ, to love Him with their hearts and with their souls and with all of their strength. Live each day with a sense of God's purpose. Next, verses 14 and 15. Enjoy the riches of God's love every day so that you can be glad. Enjoy the riches of God's love every day so that you can be glad. Look at what he says in verse 14. Moses says, satisfy us, God. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, with your covenant love. That's what he's saying. That we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Moses is saying, God, we know That if we experience your love, we will indeed be satisfied. And it's through the satisfaction that comes through your love that we can then turn and rejoice and be glad all of our days. Friends, it's easy to be distracted by the world that we live in. Distracted by all of the glitz and the glamour of stuff, movies, music, even relationships. That God desires to fill the emptiness that truly is there in your life with love, his love. And he's proven this. God demonstrated his love. How? By sending Jesus. That's the reason we celebrate Christmas, isn't it? We, We come and we celebrate Christmas. We think about the Christ child that is to be born. We celebrate Advent. We we long for the coming of Christ. We look forward to it in the future. We look back and see that it was something that has truly transformed the entire world. God has proved that he loves you by sending Christ to save you, to deliver you. Look at verse 16. Acknowledge God's sovereign power at work in your life. 16 says, let your work Be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. God wants you to see the power that is at work in your life. A lot of times we we don't see God's work in our lives 
when we're just kind of living the Christian life on our own. That's why God didn't make us for, to be individuals for individual sake. But he made us to live in community. We're, we're, we're not made to live the Christian life alone. We're called to do it together. Sometimes we're just too close to see the growth. I mean, you think about it. Your children, when they were growing up, day to day, did you see them really grow? No. No, I mean, it's shocking, right? You look back and say, my goodness, how small they were, and now they're, you know, six feet tall or whatever it might be. But, but you can't see it on a day-to-day because you're too close to the situation. But then you have those relatives that maybe only see them a couple of times a year, and they say things, weird things, like, you're growing like a weed. And I'm not sure if that means you should be plucked up, you know, or what. But, <laughs> but you're just growing. I'm like, my goodness, you're a head, head taller than you were last time I saw you. It's because they're further away. They, they have an objectivity. And friends, that's what the covenant community is all about. You look at your own life, your own sanctification, you can't see it as clearly as you think you can. Why? Because your heart's deceitful above all things. So you need brothers and sisters to speak into your life, to encourage you, to keep you accountable, to exhort you, to remind you of how God is actually at work in you. He's molding us like clay to be image bearers that look just like Christ. Finally, look at verse 17. Rest in God's blessing and grace. These are the things I want you to go home with. Rest in God's blessing and grace. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So at this point in our Advent season, we're looking forward to celebrating Christ's birth. Rest in what God has done for you. Jesus came at just the right time, the scripture says, to save us. Why? That's because he loved you. That's why. Though all of the billions of stories that are flooding the world, God looked through all of them and he saw you, he saw you, you, and he loved you. And God's favor through Christ rests upon his people. So friends, let us be a people who rest in the work and power of God's sovereign grace. God is from everlasting, and we are not. God is compassionate. So let us give ourselves completely to him this Christmas season. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. For your word. Thank you that you are the one who is everlasting and we are not. Because you are the one who is perfect in every way, kind and gracious, holy and just. You are the one who has prepared a way so that we might be delivered from the power of sin and the entanglements of Satan. God, you have rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray this morning that if there are those here who are struggling during this Christmas season, whatever entanglements it might be, whether it's sinful issues that they're struggling with, fighting back, I pray, Lord, that they would repent and trust in the cross, but that they would also gather people around them to encourage them and help them. Because, Lord, we cannot do 
what you've called us to do by ourselves. Father, for those who are truly just hurting this Christmas season, whether it's a struggling marriage or a defiant child or the loss of someone really close, Father, I pray that you would be a refuge to them. I pray, Father, that you would you would show them your care and your love during this Christmas season. God, thank you for being who you are, for giving us life, for giving us joy, for giving us all the blessings that you've given to us through Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name.